everybody. Welcome back to the Deposit That Podcast. Today I'm sitting here with, I believe, former Rebney Rookie of the Year, heavy hitter, superstar. Before I give you his name, we have to do our theme song, our entrance song. So like, if you're going up to at bat playing baseball, you up like you're getting ready to hit a home run. They play a song for you. So I'm gonna play this song that reminds me, you know. So uh, funny story. Back in 2012, I believe when the song came out, I used to wake up and listen to the song every day. I was 25 years old, young and getting it. So tell us about you being young and you getting it in the hottest real estate market probably in the country, maybe second to California, at an early age playing with the major players in New York City. Uh, so I'll be very honest. Uh, in the beginning, it was quite tempting. And not so much that um, I was playing with heavy hitters. It was that I had almost like a one opportunity chance and I had to take advantage of that. So my whole strategy was like I needed to pretty much figure out what my opportunity was. And that was a new development. So I said, I need to learn everything I can. So when that one developer comes, I can hit that home run. Did you almost find that as like a wide open space for you to like hit the ground running or did you pick the most, obviously development's very challenging, right? So you were like, not only am I going to try and broker deals, I'm going to enter a space to broker deals and sell development sites. Yeah. So it was a, it was a two kind of a, a key factor. One is I grew up in Astoria, so I knew Astoria. So I said, what can I take advantage of Astoria? And I said, let me look at the economics, the sub-markets of Astoria. And Astoria at that time was one of two. It was a rental play. And there was a lot of new developers coming in that were outpriced in Manhattan and other parts of the boroughs and coming into Astoria. And the main reason was, hey, if we did this in LIC, we can do this in Astoria. So I said, let me learn that. Let me learn my market because I already am a you know, specialist in that neighborhood. So my, my buddy um, who was on the third podcast's show, Alex Wright, says he likes, likes to this day being the sharpshooter of his marketplace. Do you agree with that theory? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I'll tell you, and, and to go back to that second point is, you really have to know your numbers. And that's what I excelled at. Um, coming from a background where medicine was kind of in our family, I took advantage of that. You I, dropped that in medical school, I believe you told me yeah, one time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother finished, so there's at least one of us. There's at least <laughs> one, one for of two. Us. One for two. That's still a good number. Interesting. Yeah, I dropped out for two reasons. One was I wasn't as passionate. I was good at test taking, but I wasn't passionate about it. Did you it. feel pressure from your family and parents to go to medical school, or you just thought you maybe you wanted to do it? Uh, I, I think that, you know, them coming from an immigrant background, that was like the premier choice besides being, you know, and they just wanted me to be safe and being able to take a diploma where I can go work, you know, anywhere in the world. So it was more so, of a safety play. Than so it was, it was a safety play. And it, I don't blame them. It's not like they forced me. It's just, that's what they knew. That's sure. what they grew up sure. knowing. And, you know, their first, their first time immigrants. I'm a first generation as well, but like my parents didn't know anything better. Um, and they just wanted the best. For what was me. their reaction when you dropped out or told them you dropped out? Um, do, do they know you dropped out yet or not yet? Um, <laughs> so my dad actually was a little bit skeptical and wasn't supportive until he found out that I actually won the revenue award a year later. And made a couple hundred thousand dollars. It made a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So he was a believer. He was a believer because he saw me happy, not because of the actual number. Now, yeah. I believe you have a sports background as well. Yeah, yeah. So I played sports. I played basketball for a very long time, but I started playing out tennis. So that discipline definitely helped, you know, sports. And I look at real estate as a, a game. You know, I'm very, very competitive. Get into that. How is real estate a game? So it's pretty much, 
I look at it two ways. One, as a basketball game where you have every quarter a break and you kind of can redevelop a new strategy. So sometimes when you start out a basketball game, you have a different strategy. And then coming to the fourth quarter, it's a completely different game plan. Now, here's the deal, though. In basketball, the rules are set in stone. In real estate, they're not. They're not, but uh, what two key factors uh, in new development that kind of separate everybody else. And one is the market is the market. So pe- developers know their numbers. So you can't really try to skew anyone. You can't really well, try I say to, real developers know their yeah, numbers. Real developers real, know, real, yeah, real yeah. developers. And real investors know the gameplay. So you have to be on point. You have to be able to back that information up. So if you try to, you know, trick someone into something that's not, it's not working. Not gonna it's work. not, not going to happen. Yeah. So one thing we like to speak about is, you know, Josh and I spoke prior about opportunity zones and, you know, a lot of people have gotten lucky in the market. The market's gone straight up from 2012 to 2017. It's been white hot, right? Real estate, stock market, everything. Overall, yeah. Overall, yeah, like overall. if you haven't made money and you've been in the game for a while in the past yeah. seven years, like something's wrong, right? Or maybe you made one bad deal that wiped out all your winnings, if you will, or your earnings. You've obviously never experienced 2008 hands-on personally yourself because you weren't in the game, yeah, right? no, I was not. So what advice right now, based on what you're seeing in the New York City marketplace, do you have for developers looking to now acquire new development sites, right? With the downward trend in rents, right? With some softening of the sales market. Talk to me about both strategy for new development rentals and new development condos right now. What are you saying and what's advice that you're going to give people that want to get into that game? A lot of developers that have, and, and we can categorize developers as small-time developers, mid-level, and then, you know, larger. Break it down de- number, down yeah, millions-wise. So, so we usually do it by uh, units. So any small-time developer is looking at 30 units or less. A mid-developer is looking anywhere between 30 to 100, and then 100-plus is big-time developers. So it's 30, yeah. 100, 101, and up. Yeah, and then, and then the price points are you're looking at you know, what your investment is. So small-time developers are going to be developing things, you know, closer to a million dollars or less on uh, acquisition. Plus or minus. Yeah, plus or minus. Mid-time developers, they'll go up to 10 million. And then anything bigger than that is... 25 million or whatever. Is is higher, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because the price of construction is relatively the same throughout. Bigger project, usually cheaper construction, though, right? Yeah, you're looking anywhere from 250 to $320 a foot. So you're you're actually looking at 320 price per square foot on the high end? On average, yeah, depending on the finishes. So you go into Manhattan, that price is much higher. Sure. So what advice do you have? Let's say I'm giving an example. Let's say you have 10 developers you're working with right now. Obviously, inventory is low. Land prices are high, right? The New York City Buildings Department, we all know it's a pain in the balls, Mm -hmm. right? Someone finds this beautiful gem piece of land. Someone passed away, and the family estate is liquidating it. They're selling it, right? Mm -hmm. For about fair market value, maybe a little bit under. Okay. Do you tell them, don't buy it at current fair market value because here's where the market's heading, or here's where inventory is, or here's where we're seeing a softening? Or how are you analyzing a deal right now knowing that there's a downward trend coming in that particular market? We'll we'll take for example Astoria, um, and then we'll compare it to an outside market sure. somewhere in Westchester, like White Plains or Mount Vernon, for sure. example. Um, we talked about Mount Vernon earlier. Yeah, so we we can we can use that as an example, just because we have a pro- we have two projects in Astoria coming up, and then we have two pieces of land in one in Riverdale. Condos or rentals. So the play is rentals in Mount Vernon. In Riverdale, we ended up selling the building. Oh wow! Yeah, before oh, nice. we, before we even sold before we rented anything. Wow! Yeah, huge. And I'll, talk, I'll get into that a little yeah. bit. But the biggest factor that we're looking at is absorption rate, target 
um, market audience, like who's our market yeah, who target? Are renting to yeah, who are we to? renting to? How quickly we can absorb that crowd, and is that crowd willing to yep. come here if we put A, B, and C amenities or A, B, and C finishes? You're almost building a product to attract clientele. Yeah, yeah. So, so Astoria was attractive to four sets of classes, people who are commuters, (laughs) people coming from Long Island, Jersey, Jersey, and you have people who lived on the Upper East Side and were getting outpriced. A $3,000 one bedroom in Astoria is brand new compared to... Run down, walk up. Yeah. (laughs) So you have that. And you can't... So it basically came back to like, do you want to have nice calf muscles or do you not? That's right. Yeah. But (laughs) but it's also people who are like, you know what? I understand. I was like, why wouldn't you live, live in a store? It's 15 minutes right. away from Midtown. That and that's the same thing for the Upper East Side. Yep. So we had our demographic, funny enough, was people who were getting outpriced of apartments like TF Cornerstone buildings that were just, you know, hitting you with 5 to 8% sure. rent hike. Sure. And we were rent stabilized and we were luxurious. So that's the market. Financially yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So that's the market that we saw. So it's, it's specific factors. I think absorption plays big and I think target audience plays big. So it's not really the price per square foot mm-hmm. uh, that's important as long as you can see that return. Oh. So you almost sounds like you're almost forecasting the trend. Like I've always said, like follow the train line, right? So if, I'm giving an example, yeah, crazy yeah. example. Like if you go into Jersey, like, all right, Hoboken, Jersey City, Bayonne, then it's like, well, what's the next train stop, right? Kind of sounds like that's what you're doing on your end where you're like, hey, you know, Mount Vernon right now isn't the Taj Mahal, but Yonkers and White Plains are, and Mount yeah, Vernon look, falls in yeah, between look those at two. Harrison, too. Even Harrison. Yeah. Crazy money. Crazy money. So, so you're almost like, hey, let me just build this economy. Let me build this rental building and then create the economy around it. Because it's going to attract the right people. Agreed. I mean, if by right you, people, I mean people that can afford a yeah. more luxurious product. If you look at history, I mean, uh, all the major cities back, you know, in the tens uh, and twenties and thirties, crazy, crazy, like they were all built around railroads. Yep. You know, transportation, transportation. So, and and, and if you look at Astoria, Twenty First Street, and and all the you know Midtown Tunnel and all that, that were all shipping lanes for trucking, right? Wow. So easy access to yeah. a lot of the big highways to go to the rest of the country. So that's an advantage. You know, when you're 15 minutes away from Manhattan, that's a selling point. Yep. Absolutely. That's a huge selling point. And people want to feel included. They want to be part of that Manhattan lifestyle. So if you can offer that lifestyle at a cheaper rate and, and you know, still have that 15 to 20 why minute uh, time frame to right. go to work or wherever you want to go, why not? It works. Are you seeing inventory on the market sitting right now? So that's a great question. It depends on price point and it depends on location. So Astoria is astronomically absorbing condos and that is because it's a rental neighborhood okay there's a lot of greek and italian developers in the past who just kept rental buildings and hold, that hold, and, hold, yeah hold, so hold. it's about 80 percent rental serious yeah so wow so two fa- yeah so so two factors that hold new development especially in in astoria the condo market is because you don't have much of a competitor you have there's only twenty percent. There's only twenty percent, and that twenty percent, most of it is new development anyway. What do you know about that percentage is in Manhattan by any chance? Rental to, I mean, give I, or take, if you had to guess, it, it gets a little bit tricky just because there's a lot more NYCHA, co-ops, co-ops, yeah, yeah, co-op stuff. So, like, where do you factor that in? Right. Where do you put it? But I think that the big, it's definitely not eighty twenty. Yeah, no, it's not eighty twenty. I think the biggest differences are in Brooklyn and in Queens. So, so if you see the, the the most ground up new development, I would say Brooklyn, Queens, and Jersey. 
parts of Hoboken, parts sure. of Jersey City, sure. even some parts of Fort Lee. You right. see that. It's happening. Yeah, it's happening. And that's all accessibility. I mean, if you look at what Jersey has done on the waterfront, it's Crazy. ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's going to keep getting better. Too. It's going to keep getting better. Yeah. yeah. Now, where are you seeing money come in from right now? As far as foreign money? Yep. What areas? For, and by foreign, I mean any yeah. person who's a non-New Yorker. Like if you're from Jersey, you're yeah. like me, I'm foreign. If you're from California, you're foreign. Yeah. So, so outside of New York people, citizens, yeah. whatever they call them, where are you seeing money coming in from? So Certain I'll, states? I'll, I'll do two things. I'll do one uh, stateside and then I'll do one international. Um, if you follow what happened to New York from, I would say, the 90s to about now, it was at one point Russian money, then Saudi money, then South American money, then Chinese money, Chinese money came in. And slowly but surely, there was always a different group of individuals. And that also has an effect on what is going on in their countries. Correct. You know, if banks more are closing up, more, more turmoil. Yeah. So I, I like to say that New York is a really good safety deposit box, especially real estate. Spy and hold. Yeah, it's buy and hold. And you rather have that money in a liquid asset property that's mm-hmm. appreciating mm-hmm. than in your own country's bank. Sure. I mean, no sure. offense. Yeah. Stateside, uh, and, and, and just to answer your question, we see a lot of money still coming in from Asia. Still. Uh, Malaysia as well. Still. Yeah, Malaysia, Everyone India. Everyone talks about like, oh, it's dried up. No one's coming back No, pe- people, I mean, people are still coming in. It's not as much. Yeah, not as much, but you see a huge, huge uptake. In, and you can see big cities like Shanghai. Where they're tra- like Shanghai is the, one of the most richest price per square foot wow. places in the world. Right. Like, the richest. And they're bringing money here. And they're bringing money here, but then people are also funneling money over there. So people will be selling there, bringing money here. So you have to look at big, big um, cities, global cities, and New York is one of them. What about stateside? Um, stateside, I would say it's interesting where we get people, but we get people funny enough from Florida. And the biggest difference is trying to convince... Like Miami, someone, Florida, or like... Uh, no, outside of like Hollywood, Florida is okay. big. Yeah, yeah, Florida, um, yeah. We're looking at people from Tampa side, from St. Petersburg. Yep. And there's, these are all like, um, not developers, but sort of groups of individuals who funnel money together. So much big money down there. So much yeah, big money. Yeah. And then Texas is another. So much big money, multifamily money. And they come here, and the biggest problem I had to convince them is that 20 no, per- no, no, 20, 20% there yeah. is like 3 or 4% here. Wow. Uh, of return on investment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like hard to convince them that, and they're like, you know, we want something 15%. I said, hey, well, good luck. So is everybody else. Yeah. And I was like, that's what everybody wants. It's not going to happen here. And if it does, it's only a new development. Right. And that's and you have where to get lucky you. almost. Yeah, you have to get lucky. I mean, new development is where you can make the most amount of return. You also lose everything. You also lose everything. It's tricky. It's not yeah. It's not for everyone. Yeah, there's no perfect formula for it. So I see California. Here's my theory, right? So three years ago, I said, sell New York, buy New Jersey. Just because rates were low, I saw people cashing out. I saw a lot of big money changing hands, et cetera, et cetera. After the run, a lot of people in Manhattan made a big run on real estate, right? Mm-hmm. Over the past yeah, seven yeah. to nine yeah. years. You, you saw it yourself, right? From when you started to now. So I'm like, okay, well, what's the catalyst going to be? You hear Chinese are not putting more money in, New York City laws, regulations, which we'll get into later on. I'm like, well, what's the catalyst going to be? And then all of a sudden, tech companies, Google, all these companies from out west, California, started coming out East Coast, East Coast. Oh, East Coast Studio, East Coast Netflix, whatever. Now I'm like, all these salaried early employees at these tech companies are coming into 
big IPO tech money in their stocks, everyone wants to be in New York City. I don't care who yeah. you are, what you are. I don't you care if you hate him. New York City. You want to have you a wanna, presence. You want to say, it's like, all right, you got a Rolex, awesome. Everyone wants to have a Rolex. Well, everyone wants New York City real estate. Yeah. So that, I believe that's going to be the new wave of money resurgence coming in is once all these tech companies IPO and all these millennials come into 2 to $10 million, plus or minus, they're going to buy a place yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah. Are you seeing that? Or have you seen that yet? I know we Brooklyn had it. We have. We've seen it. Um, and we've seen it a lot from different markets. Like we've seen it from Texas, Houston. We've seen it from St. Louis, from Chicago, from Midwest. And, and old school smart old, money. Old right? school smart money, yeah. And, but what it is is like now their kids are young and they're new and they don't want to be Midwest. They don't want to be in that atmosphere. Yeah. But I also see a lot of like Silicon Valley money. I mean, Silicon Valley would not be anything if it wasn't for those big companies. Correct. And that real estate was priceless. Garbage. It was, it was garbage. Yeah. And now San Francisco is one of the most expensive cities, you know, to live in. More expensive than New York. Right. But that's because it's proximity to Silicon Valley. The fact that there you have huge hedge funds, you have huge tech companies. And all those people are working there. I mean, the average salary for someone at Google coming in was probably around 150. And that's why there was a huge craze in New York. It's like, oh, we want Amazon. Oh, we want Google. Oh, we want this. We want that. That's interesting. Talk us through the Amazon deal, how it failed, your opinion on it, and the price surge that we experienced. I know I experienced it from people calling me up that you saw overnight. And then, unfortunately, when the wind got lit out of the sales, what the aftermath was like. I think it had quite a few factors. One of them, and I speak about this very openly, there were so-called representatives of the community who wanted their 15-minute shine. And they thought that they could be the liaisons between Amazon and the community. And I think that's where they got greedy. And I think that's one factor of it. The other factor is they were looking at ways to to bash Amazon. They're like, you know what? They haven't paid any property taxes in the next amount of years. But they didn't realize what the infrastructure they brought in or what they could bring in. And I said, and, and I said, well, you have to think about it both ways. The yeah. spending alone from the people they brought in yeah. would boost the economy. I'm like, you you have a completely new infrastructure right. in the next 10 years. Right. That's right. going to improve not only the average American. If you ask the average Queens native, they wanted Amazon. Seriously. They really did. Yeah. It's it's my parents who didn't want it because they knew they were they're gonna get outpriced. But the average The people that are fearful. There are people that are fearful, but there's a cer- certain age group. Like my parents sixty know, and up. Yeah, sixty and up. They know that, you know, new buildings are coming up and they can't afford, you know, going to the supermarket because now you it's know real. Th- things are, are real. more yeah, the more you know, there's now we have a Whole Foods in Astoria. Yeah, which, inequality. Yeah, inequality. And that gap is is Big and new development kind of and gentrification kind of improves it, but at the same time creates that gap. So it's really a, you know, a, a preference or a rather a viewpoint of different people. You know, my father would not approve of that, would not be, you know, happy, but at the same time, I'm actually a catalyst of sure. gentrification sure. because I represent a lot of these developers. Actually, I think that's super interesting and we go into this topic a lot, right? So like you said, you're first generation, but you're an immigrant, right? Yeah. Let's just call it, it is what I, it I is. I wasn't born here. Right, so, yeah. right, exactly. So you could have easily been that victim, gone down that safe route, said, I don't want this, I can't afford this. Instead, yeah. you look at it from the opposite side of the coin, you're like, no, 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 here's what it is, here's what the benefit is, I'm an immigrant. My parents are being 
in their opinion, negatively impacted by it. But I see the positive impact this provides to the block, the town, the city, the community, the state, et cetera. Talking about the psychology of that and I guess like the differentiating viewpoints. It's funny you mentioned that. So I came from a background in Bosnia where our foundation was kind of leveled. When the war started, we lost everything. So one of the first things as a kid that I realized is you have to adapt to your environment. I mean, that's people what, don't like change, though. People don't like change. And the, the people that are most successful are the ones that have either reinvented themselves or have adapted to the current sure. market. Sure. So either I was going to say, you know what? I see Astoria as changing and it's developing and this is I want to be part of that or I don't. Uh, and, and that goes to anyone in any profession. If you're just going to be that dinosaur, chances are someone's going to come who's younger, who's faster, who's better looking, it's gonna who's smarter. It's going to change anyway. Yeah. It's either are you adapting with it or you're not. People in Astoria, you know, at first were were confused at what this change was and they were being affected. Well, I mean, they were completely unknown, like wiped out yeah, in unknown. a second, right? Yeah. The guys got punched in the face. I mean, overnight they were neighborhoods. But then again, you have to realize that these neighborhoods are funneled and fueled by these rezoning laws. So you would so, say that's a major catalyst. Yeah, because some these developers would not build there if it wasn't right. productive and incentivized. economically incentivized yeah, by sure. them. So if they're getting state money, if they're getting taxes deferred, why not? Yes, they will build. You know, it's the city planning that really decides what's the next neighborhood. So you have to be you have to, you know, track that. I mean, there's lobbying and all that, but if you really look at a lot of these neighborhoods, they're done for a specific reason. Astoria was rezoned for a specific reason, it's location, it's proximity to JFK, it's proximity to LaGuardia, to the yeah, city. There's reasons behind there's it. There's reasons behind it. it. Right. Yeah, it's not like, you know, let's pick the next city. Right. Jersey City, there's a reason why. Hoboken, there's a reason why. I mean, it's, it's you don't go, you know, somewhere down the coast and start redeveloping a random town that might not have an effect on it. You know, it's interesting, right? So obviously sports does play a big background, you know, foundationally to how we think psychologically. And it's like, okay, I look at it as, okay, if I'm going to the local bodega or I'm going to Whole Foods, me as one single person, I can't control that, right? So like if I have to, I'm giving an example, pay $1.99 for a loaf of bread or $3.99 for a loaf of bread, I'm like, fuck, I just got to work harder to spend two extra dollars, right? I have to go make more money, like... This is unfortunately Either what it is. Either that or save $2 on something else you would have got. Correct. Or right, don't spend $5 yeah. for Starbucks or like my yogurt again in the morning, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, when you go back to sports, like, and I say it's like kind of sick and sad to say, but like that's like me going up to somebody in a race, them running faster than me, and me being like, well, they're faster than me. Like, I don't want them to be faster than me. Like, slow down. No, no. They don't have to slow down. I have to speed up if I want to compete, right? Yeah. Now, listen inflation, cost of living, like that's a real problem in America today, right? Obviously, as you know, you had the old school 70, 80, 90, 100 year old people, originals that were in Astoria that can't afford to even walk around and shop and eat anymore. And I get it. That sucks. It's changing, but it's changing everywhere. And America, the government is really the one, in my opinion, creating that problem because they're devaluing the dollar, right? For the most part, plus or minus. I think they're devaluing the the dollar uh, in one sense, but I also think that they can incentivize and they can value a parcel of land. So like if it wasn't for rezoning laws, the property, the value of that land or the air rights would not be that value. It would never go up. It would never go up. 
You know, if someone, if the city said, well, you you can't build anything more than a two story here, the value of that land not is anything. not yeah. worth anything. Yep. Yep. You understand? So it, it's really up to them and they kind of decide what the next map is like how the city is changing and, and not just new york i'm talking about across all metropolitan cities across the entire united states i mean that that's what gentrification is how do you think the new rent laws that have just been implemented or what have you seen so far chatter on the street from your investors and people you work with what have you seen from a negative side of how they're going to impact the overall New York City real estate market? I mean, I, I can tell you that people that I've spoken to, very smart, high net worth individuals, are like, great, now every single New York City landlord is going to become a slumlord. So I can't really quote on that. I, we do have rental accounts that are being affected by that. And we are still kind of figuring out how this law is going to play specifically. Yeah, it's going to take six to twelve months. To yeah, and and look, a lot of people were confused when the new four twenty one affordable act came in right. for for new development. On the bad end, it's going to affect these developers who uh, these uh, landlords who bought homes, uh, you know, forty fifty units back in the eighties and nineties for forty fifty k, and now are like, what am I going to do? I don't necessarily think it's going to affect a lot of developers uh, landlords because they have already you know, paid off this building. What it is going to change is, is how they're going to be renovating these apartments. And valued. And valued. Right. So if you cap a value, then they're going to be like, so what's the point of me right. reinvesting? $200,000 into it, yeah, I'm only going to make $10. Exactly. So you're probably not going to see a turnover of apartments being fixed up or brought to, you know, current conditions. Which then causes tenant complaints, 311, which is where else. Which is where you might potentially not see slum lord, lords, but that type of, like, environment. And they're looking at it economically. They're not looking at it, well, I'm not going to change this. It's just like, if I change it, will I get a return? Just like anybody else. No one's in the business to lose money. But on the other side of the coin, new development has no effect on it. And in fact, it actually forces people who are building to go the condo route. Sure. Have to. Yeah, have to, because that's the only thing that makes sense. So is New York City and state doing this where they want more, forcing more first-time homebuyers? Maybe. We'll see. Is that an underlining thing theme? There's always an ultimatum. Yeah, right? there's a, <laughs> is that is that the agenda? Sure. I mean, if we get more first time home buyers, you know, out of this in the next twenty years and look back, I don't think that's a bad From idea. From a growth perspective. From a growth perspective, yeah. I, I don't think people are addressing that positively just yet. I've never heard that theory before. Actually, it's an interesting perspective. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying, like, you know, what, it has to for. There's good and bad from from anything. And I think that when it comes to new development, it doesn't necessarily have any effect to it, but it also minimizes the options mm. for someone. So if someone's like, now, well, I have to buy because I don't want to keep renting. No other option. <laughs> yeah, no other option. Keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, it's like, let me start saving so I can go buy my condo right. and fix it up and do right. my new kitchen because my landlord is- He's not going to do it. Is, he might not do it. Yeah. You said earlier, real estate's a game, and in every game, someone wins and someone loses. And I've changed my mentality to say, like, you either win or you learn. You know, it comes from experience at age thirty-two, the ripe old age of thirty-two. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. you win or learn. You yeah. know, you never really lose. Yeah, I just turned thirty-two last uh, two weeks ago, yeah, you, and 
I look at it and I'm like, it's a completely different thinking perspective completely. than I was when I was 22. Right. Like I have my tattoo in my arm, like love to win, hate to lose. And I have to add the third line, like, but love to learn, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I got that when I was 20, super smart decision, <laughs> I don't know. whatever. But, um, in real estate, people win. And unfortunately people lose in your opinion over the next 12 to 18 months, who loses as far as a money, class? asset class, demographic, anything. Well, offices have been losing a lot. Office buildings. Uh, office buildings have been losing a lot. I think that your mom and pop, like if you look at Steinway and Astoria, uh, it's completely empty. There's no new business coming in. None. Yeah, and you look at it, and I, I go into my building. I live in a luxurious building, and every time I walk in, there's 40 to 50 packages in the mailroom. People are just no buying. One's shopping. No, one, no one's shopping. So people are buying in Amazon, including myself. They're shopping online. They're shopping online. It's just more comfortable. It's easier. Free shipping half the time. So people are incentivizing. Like, why would I go you out? You store your credit card. You don't have to actually swipe it. You press you don't a have button. To swipe you don't realize it. you're yeah. actually spending money. And yeah. Something shows up at your doorstep. Yeah. And, and, and it's crazy, but, you know, people are doing it. So I think the biggest losers are going to be people who, and particularly landlords who have kind of been doing the same thing for the last 20, this 25 years. This is the way years. we've always done it. This is the way we've always done it. If it works, we're not going to change it. And that's fine. But if it doesn't work, you're going to have to put that money in and, you know, improve the space. And I think a lot of developers are not ready for that. They're not ready for that change because they're old school. And then now they're hiring managers before right. they used to do it on their sure, own. Sure. Right. So you know, double loss. Double loss. So so now they're having managements to kind of and, and brokers like ourselves, they're now paying us a fee, a consultant fee to tell us what do you suggest? Seriously? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a, that's that's big for anytime, now. Anytime anybody goes in their pocket to pay a broker without actually closing a deal for advice, you know the market shifted. And yeah. it's credit to you because you're the expert. Yeah. Now the biggest thing is like develop uh, developers and landlords are paying. Sure. It's not anymore. Sure. Well, so they need you. They need you. But not not only that, but they need you to bring that specific demographic. So what's your, in your opinion, I know obviously commercial storefront retail space is not your primary focus, right? It's part of the gamut that you have mm -hmm. in real estate. What's your theory or what plan would you implement to fill these vacant storefronts? Like you said, people aren't going out shopping. I mean, you can only have so many restaurants in every block, so many sneaker yeah. stores. Yeah. But even sneaker stores are going out of business because everyone's shopping online. Yeah. How do these vacancies for commercial spaces get filled? Like, do we open them all up as like homeless shelters or facilities? Like, no, what, what's going to happen? No, I think you have to bring in uh, businesses that are willing to be incentivized. So you have to bring in, uh, bring in big corporations. I mean, if you look at the rest of the world, you see like the likes of Target and Costco and all these other big companies, they have their headquarters in the randomest cities across the world. In the middle of nowhere. In the yeah. middle of nowhere, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have to ask yourself, you know, why is, for example, Target headquarters or someone else in the middle of a cornfield? Yeah. And that's Chief because, employment, cost of living. And, and, and that's because they were probably incentivized. Yep. Yep. So that's what you need to bring. So, you know, maybe it's not a restaurant play or maybe it's not something else but it could be an office play so that's why offices start need to start bringing in big you know heavy hitters because then it's going to be a little bit easier for smaller businesses to come in i think the biggest loser here is first-time business owners because they can't compete because they're can't cover their overhead they, their overhead is so minimal you know not only that, but they have to get used to paying triple net, paying everything for themselves and stuff like that. So a lot of factors come into play. 
A lot, a lot of factors. And there's a lot of vacancies. I mean, you walk Fifth Avenue, there's a lot of empty stores. Everywhere. Big Everywhere. retail flagship spaces. Big, big stores. And, and you know, it's um, it's alarming. And you have to figure it out. So how do you do it? You incentivize. What's your, um, what are your thoughts on all the homelessness through New York City? I would um, say like we can't put people into homes and not discuss the homeless problem. They're mm-hmm. everywhere. I'm not really proud to say that I uh, know much about it and I'm learning it every day, but there should be a study done or at least why most of these people are homeless. Is it because of finances? Or choice. Or is it because of choice? And then there has to be programs geared towards that. So when someone's homeless, there's a multitude of reasons why they can be homeless. Gotcha. Right? We don't know. Maybe yeah, yeah. maybe there was a fire that, you know, burned down their house and they have nothing left. Maybe, maybe it's a job loss. So we have to understand what is the majority uh, for that and try to plug that problem. Have any of your sales that you've done on the luxury space been impacted by homelessness or people like laying out front or anything? I can tell you, for example, like when I bought my first condo in the South Bronx, right? It was the hood then. It's, still, it's changing, obviously. South Bronx changing, mm-hmm. whatever. But there was a park right next to the building that I bought my condo in. And the day I went to go buy the condo for the open house, I also did the mortgage on the building. There was a shooting that took place right next to the luxury condo conversion, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced something like that? Where- yeah, we actually, so uh, not so much on the sale end, but yeah. we had a project 44 East 132nd Street. So Harlem? In East Harlem, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful building that was done uh, about a year ago. And we finally, it took us about three months to rent out all the um, apartments at a record, funny enough, at a record. But it was right across from public housing. And those people were just, this was their playground. This is where they wanted to hang out. It was an adjustment. But uh, at the end of the day, people paid for the comforts of the new appliances, the new flooring, the new floor-to-ceiling windows. And we're like, you know what? I have to walk past that, but I'm not spending most of my time. I'm spending most of my time at work or at home. That was secondary to the fact that I'm giving them premium quality at a discount. Pricing. Pricing. The pricing. Yeah, pricing. I mean, people look at that. It's what, you know, show it manages how people live their lives. Money is a big factor. Huge. So we close up every show with one thing that the listeners can take to their memory bank and deposit that. That's where the name came from, right? Like mm-hmm. Deposit that. What's one thing you want listeners to walk away with that they can implement either in their everyday life, personally, professionally? What's one thing you want people to remember you for saying? I mean, I, I always tell both developers and first-time homebuyers the same thing, and that is you really need to understand the economics of the world because it affects New York. And you need to understand the reasons behind these changes. So for two reasons, one is to make a better decision for yourself or two on the developer side to understand where the next big change is going to be. So if you can't look back and say, well, why did this happen? Why did, why are these laws coming out? Who's behind these laws? Who's lobbying these laws? Why are their law? Is there a specific reason? I mean, the biggest, if we go back to why Airbnb started becoming illegal in certain places, because we had hotel lobbying. Yep. 
Yeah. You know, that is the reason. Yeah. It's not like someone woke up one day and so was like, no. you know what? Yeah. No, it's hurting another market. So they're going to put, you know, a stop to it or sure. at least try to, you know, Im- get roadblocks. Yeah. So, so we have to understand, okay, so why, why is Amazon coming to New York or why did they want to come to New York? Why Long Island City specifically? Is it, you know, or why they're now looking in DC and parts of in the surrounding areas? Sure. So you, you really have to ask yourself, what is the change? And why is that change happening? So education is, is is very, very important. I think now more than ever, you have much more educated first-time homebuyers. Interesting. Much more than, you know, 2005, sure, 6, completely. 7, and 8. Accessibility information. Yeah. Awesome. So, Mirza, thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it, ladies and gentlemen, former Rebney Rookie of the Year. For those of you who don't know, Rebney means Real Estate Board of New York. It's a very prestigious award, so congratulations on that. I look Thank forward to much. seeing where we're at 10 years from now. Thank you. I look appreciate forward to it. it. Thank you.